The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you doing, man? I'm doing very, very well. I'm excited for today's show. Um, I'm excited to have you here. I am thrilled at the stuff we're talking about. I'm excited, too. Well, I'm, good. I'm excited. Because you know normally you come in here morose and just unread, you know, not ready to, to do the show. But today you seem excited. That is so terrible. That's a lie, ladies and gentlemen. I'm always prepared to do this show. It's actually wildly inaccurate. You're right. You always come in with a sunny yes. disposition. But you know what? We have we, we don't have a guest today. No guest. It's going to be just you and me. Don't turn don't turn it off. <laughs> don't do it. Don't I, I see I see you, John. I see you right there. By the way, I know what you're thinking. No, it's not a friend of mine. I'm just you give me a shout out to it. It's a generic John. No, I was just thinking more that there's some guy named John listening to our podcast right now going, "Oh my god, what was that?" And he, he's I'm looking watching, around. He's looking listening. around. He's looking around, going, "I knew the Truman Show was real. I knew it. Oh God, no! I can't do it." And he jumps out the window. Oh my God, how morbid! And now we have one less listener. That's right, John. Don't do it, buddy. <laughs> we need you for iTunes reviews' sake. And on that uh, good transition, by the way, um, if you like the stuff that we do with this podcast, we implore you to subscribe, rate, and review us on websites like iTunes and SoundCloud. It's how you bubble up those iTunes rankings. I don't know if you knew this, Dave, but I was checking the iTunes pages the other day. Our podcast has reached new and noteworthy status. Really? Yeah. If you go on the music page, um, and you got to go pretty far down, like scroll, scroll, scroll until like, you know, you get carpal tunnel syndrome, but yeah, we're new and noteworthy. Why didn't you tell me this? This is like, you, you seriously didn't tell me. This I want to actually... get your genuine reaction. Well, now, all right. Now, now I'm going to have to, you know what? I'm going to be useless for us to show. Cause I want to Are you not, to wait, wait, are you not going to like contribute to the show now? Cause you're just going to be looking up where we are on iTunes. I kind of need you here. I need the support. Can you do this later? Yeah, sure. You're, you're scrolling. You're still, I'm watching you scroll. They don't know that. I know that, and like you're 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 pausing a half second before every answer to my question, every waiting for your responses. What? Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> anyway, while David scrolls in a futile attempt to find the slight vestiges of fame we have achieved on the new and noteworthy list, I'm going to tell you how to contact us. Don't worry, Dave. You got about 15 or 20 seconds before I'm going to need you again. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K A I R. That's where you can find me at Ryan K A I R. Um, you can follow Dave, um, not that he's even paying attention, but you can follow him at DK, that's D-K-A-Y-E, 1027. Are you going to change that Twitter handle, Dave? He's- I, can't, I can't find the new noteworthy. I swear to God, I can always find it because before, in, in, in a vain need for attention. Are you looking in the right genre? Not that I should be encouraging well, you. I'm still just in the podcast. Oh, there we go. Here's featured. All right, here we go. Oh, well, no, here n- we new go. and noteworthy under music. Because that's what our category of our podcast. Anyway, you can find Dave. Music, yes, because what we do here is make beautiful music. It's a music-themed podcast. D-K-A-Y-E-1027 is how you can find this very attentive co-host on Twitter. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what we're going to be talking about in the next segment is artist management contracts. I've wanted to devote one show to talking about artist management contracts. A lot of the artists that are listening out there, Dave. Dave. Yes. Dave. I'm I'm here. <laughs> You're still scrolling. 
Anyway, no, you know what? Just you know what? You can just give me uh-huh's and yeah's until you find the new and noteworthy post. Assuming you can even find it, because again, it was a lot of scrolling, but I found it. Uh-huh. Um, okay, yeah, you're doing well. So in the next segment, we're going to talk about artist management contracts because we have a lot of artists who listen to this show, and I bet a lot of them have probably wondered, should I get a manager? Should I get somebody to help me run my career? Um, should I stay as the manager? Am I at the point where I need a manager? And if I do decide to get a manager, what should I be looking out for? What pitfalls should I try to avoid? And what's uh, sort of contextualizing all this is the fact that there was a recent lawsuit between uh, OC, former OC star, because I guess the OC hasn't been on the air in like 10 years. Yeah, it's. It, it, I think you always talk about like, do our millennial audience know anything I'm talking about? The OC now is even something that probably kids don't even know about anymore. Has the OC reached like the point of being a classic TV show? Is that what you're kind of suggesting? <laughs> In the sense of being old, not good classic. Let's not conflate classic with value <laughs> in terms of like years. Gotcha. Anyway, she was the star of that show and she's been involved in a lawsuit with her mom, who is a manager. Uh, you still haven't found it. I swear it was there. Mm. And now I feel like you're just going to keep scrolling. I think you're juicing. You're, you're juicing the show. I'm not. I swear. I should have taken a picture of it. Art- anyway. Artificial juicing. Oh, I mean, it was so far down the list. Like you're going to be like checking for the whole show but anyway back to your thought okay so (laughs) we're gonna use that misha barton lawsuit because she sued her mom who's a manager who's her manager um and use it as a way to sort of frame a broader discussion of um whether musicians need managers and when you need Mm -hmm. them and that's what we're gonna talk about in the next segment Uh, before we get there um i want to tell a little bit about what's going on in my life that's interesting could be very boring but also could be entertaining oh uh as boring as what you've been contributing for the last five minutes, which is just the listening audience you know, getting to enjoy you scrolling with your thumb. Listen, all right, if I've got a show that's on New and Noteworthy, I want to see it, okay? I do have some pride in this, believe it or not, folks. Not enough, it. not enough pride to contribute to the show while it's on the air, but enough pride to, you know... In a look in a vain, <laughs> engage in a vain attempt to find your podcast on new and noteworthy. I need self affirm. I, I need affirmation. Self uh, and self affirmation too, but also affirmation from others. <laughs> desperately, desperately needing it. So, listeners, can you just tweet at d k a y e one zero two seven and compliment him, just so he has the affirmation he needs to not interrupt this podcast by checking for a new and noteworthy designation on iTunes. Oh, thanks, buddy. All right. So let me tell you about what's going on in my world right now, um, because something happened yesterday that I kind of want to talk a little bit about. As I've been saying in previous episodes, my book, uh, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, is slated to come out in December. Um, I'm super excited, also nervous, but excited. Nice stocking stuffer. Uh, no, absolutely. Just in time for the holidays, right? Mm-hmm. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. So we're two months out. And so I had a meeting with the publisher yesterday. Oh, nice. And so we're doing that. And, you know, they showed me, and I was excited at first. I got in there, you know, I'm sitting at their table. They're showing me the book cover. They're showing me, like, the timeline of, like, stuff that's going to roll out. You know, they're showing me, like, you know, just different social media things that they're going to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And then the smallest little thing that they said just it had a huge emotional impact on me that I did not expect. Really? They said, oh yeah, well, as part of this rollout, we're going to send your book 
to uh, you know different publication outlets, you know newspapers, uh, blogs, book reviewers, you know things like that. And then the moment they said book reviewers, something weird happened to me. Like I just a a flood of nervous panic just flushed over my face, and like I couldn't show it on my face because I wanted to look like cool in front of look for the publisher yeah now by the way when i when, when you're meeting with the publisher i'm picturing bob balaban okay is it was it is it a bob balaban type bob balaban yes you know him yes i know who bob okay, balaban good. is but like why did you have to interrupt my story with a musty bob balaban reference i because th- honestly because i thought about it as soon as you're talking i'm like i gotta get it in here somehow i think i liked your contribution better when it was just you scrolling through itunes duly noted okay um bob balaban but anyway the moment they said that they're sending it to book reviewers my whole world has transitioned it went from me being like i'm so excited for this book to be coming out and you know me getting to have people read it but in that moment, it became real. Like it went from being like this theoretical thing to, okay, this is real. And book reviewers are going to read it. People are going to read it. They're going to judge it. They're going to give it a yay or nay. I am so scared, Dave. <laughs> I am. Oh, well, I mean, I don't think you have to be because if the course of your life has taught me anything, it's that people generally are never happy with your work. <sighs> and I'm being sarcastic here because obviously you've risen through the ranks and it's pretty much everything. So I, I'm, I have faith and confidence in you. You, I don't think you should. And it's not, it's not that I don't think that what I've written is decent because I think, I think what I've written is okay. Like I wouldn't have put my name on it if I didn't believe in it, mm-hmm. but I'm about to, I can't believe, I mean, what was I thinking? I'm about to put my creation for the internet to see the internet, the cruelest cesspool of judgment and condemnation is now going to review my creative work. And what about your experience with the internet, Dave, has led you to believe that this is going to be a friendly group of people? Well, I don't think, I mean, are you expecting a bunch of like uh, tweens to be like trashing or reading and trashing your book? No, I just expect like, I, I, what, what, what I am now fearful of. And, I, and, I, and, and granted, all the people out there, they're like, why didn't you think about this Like when you started writing the book? Absolutely, I should have thought about this, but I wasn't. I was just like, I'm going to write a book. And now I haven't really considered the fact that like people are going to like be very mean to me. All right, you know what you sound like to me right now? What? You sound like that kid. Bob Balaban? No, no the publisher is Bob Balaban. Sorry. Bob, don't, don't bring Bob Balaban into this. All right. Bob Balaban didn't do anything wrong, Ryan. Yeah, Bob Balaban's great. <laughs> um, no, you sound like the kid who was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to pass the test. I, 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 I don't know. I only have a 4.0 average. I don't know. And last time I only got a 98. And I don't know. I'm unsure of myself. And then sure enough, you'll get like a freaking A. You'll be like, oh, but I messed up this and everything's like, take your goddamn A. Everybody knew that. I, I get what you're saying. Everybody knew that kid in high school. The one who was always the best kid in the class. And every time he took a test, he'd walk out of that test being like, oh, God, I totally failed it. And then he'd get like a 104 because he got them all right. And he got like the two extra credit questions right. Mm -hmm. And then you hate that kid. Like this isn't like I try not to be that kid. Like I was I was a good student in school. And I tended to when I came out of test, I was like, I feel good about this test because I studied hard. And so I've, I've never been chicken little when it comes to my work product. But this is different. This is because this is the internet. This isn't some teacher who, you know, because of our culture of grade inflation is going to probably, you know, love my work. This is the internet. The internet is mean. You see what the internet does to people? 
Like when you put creative stuff out there, because it's always much easier to destroy the works of others than to create something beautiful. I will be very surprised if a Ryan's Books Sucks website pops up because of this. If that's we, what you're, well, now that you said it, somebody's going to do it just to screw with me. I mean, I don't think it might be you. There's not going to be like a fire Ron Zook thing going on here. OK, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I think that mostly works for us here in, in uh, Florida, but uh, <laughs> um, no, I, you're going to be fine. I have faith in you. you. You do great stuff. I haven't read it. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, because you haven't given me a treatment, which frankly, well, right. I find, I mean, very few people have read it. I find offensive. I, I can't believe I'm going to actually have to call Bob Balaban myself and have him give me a copy of the damn book. <laughs> Bob Balaban. Then he'll be like, uh, "Who is this? I, I don't have time for this." It is problem. I'm busy with Christopher Guest here. <laughs> How many more of these musty references are you going to... These are not musty. They're very musty. No. Okay, yeah, I guess Christopher Guest is modern, but, like, it's not our audience. Bob Balaban. Are you saying Bob Balaban's not our audience? No, I'm saying the sort of people who partake in Bob Balaban productions. You really have like a very concrete idea of apparently who our audience is. Oh, every I know our I audience. Every- and they don't listen to Bob Balaban or Fred McMurray or Jimmy Stewart or any of the other, you know dinosaur people that you reference on this show i'm gonna ask yeah yeah i'm gonna ask i'll ask the people that i definitely know listen to the show if they know any of these people well because those are your friends <laughs> and they probably have similar taste as you but but you like i i, I it's i <laughs> evan do you know bob balaban did you just cite another random fan who listens to this show we both know. Actually, I know Evan, too. Evan's good I was friend. just going to say, he feels very betrayed well, be, right now that I, you, you're calling him out. Honestly, it took me a split second to realize you were talking about like our mutual friend, Evan, and not just some random dude named Wow, Evan. dude. Li- listen, man. This guy went through a lot with you in high school, and look at what he's doing to you. He's throwing you under the bus, bro. I didn't realize what Evan you were talking about. There are more than one Evan uh, in this world. I bet you don't even like his wife anymore, either. Oh, uh, I enjoy them both. They're both very dear friends of mine. Really? Can we can we please stop talking about our own personal lives, except for the fact that I've been talking about my personal life for you know twenty minutes now? You're right, because no one listens to podcasts ever wanting to hear about someone's personal life. That's true. But but you 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 seem to be taking a very different tack with this. You seem to be of the belief that I have very little to worry about because I know it's going to be great. Well, I I appreciate that. And to very prove it much. to you, I'll read your book. I'll become a successful recording artist. I'll win ten Grammys. <laughs> All right, I'll get into a feud with Kanye West. I'll end up being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'll, you know, and my recordings will be shot out into space. Okay? Are you happy now? Yes. Is that what it takes? If you did all those things, that would make me happy. Fine, I'll start tomorrow. That's the least you can do. Good. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Does anyone know a manager out there? (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about managers after the break. Good segue, Dave. Yeah. Um, we will take a quick break and, uh, thank you for talking me off the ledge there a little bit, Dave. I appreciate it. Hey man, listen, you don't need to be on the ledge. I got a perfectly good news right here. <laughs> we'll be right back. We'll talk about artist managers next on the break, the business podcast. Are you an independent artist looking to promote a recent release or crowdfunding campaign? If so, the break, the business podcast would love to help you out by giving you a shout out on the air. Email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com and tell us about yourself and your project. It won't cost you anything. We're just looking for a way to give back to the artistic community that's given us so much. Again, that's breakthebusiness at gmail.com for a free shout out. Thanks for listening.
Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. In the break, Dave. Yes. Um, was I not able to show you where we are in the new and noteworthy list? Yes. So I do believe you now. You have seen us. I have you seen. can confirm that we are officially a new and noteworthy podcast. We are new and noteworthy, yes. Yeah. So does that mean that I have you for the rest of the show now? You're not gonna be scrolling, you're not gonna be off on different tasks. I got your undivided attention. Yeah. <laughs> yes okay good but that is good news for us right that you're excited that's i'm very excited i just uh, so when does the check come the new and noteworthy check the prize for being new and noteworthy yes i, I assume that there was some sort of monetary compensation for that <laughs> that the, the the gatekeeper of itunes has gone through has seen like oh okay these guys are good they know what they're doing there's like a panel it's, of experts yes the academy of podcasting academy of podcasting arts and sciences <laughs> um <laughs> Academy podcast, that's a pass, right? Yeah, something okay. like that. A pause. So a pause <laughs> looks at, all, at everything. It's probably who do you think it is? It's Chris Hardwick. It's Mark Merritt. Oh yeah, he's uh, they're on the committee. Adam Carolla's Adam in Carolla, there. Um, maybe someone from NPR. Yeah, you got you got to diversify. Get, you get, yeah, you got to get NPR on. Diane there. Ream, you think maybe? Yeah, Diane Ream for sure. Well, I, I would prefer Terry Gross really. But, you know. Well, I mean, but you know all these academy politics are. They're not going to put Terry Gross on there. It's all, yeah. it's all politics. It's all politics. But anyway, this distinguished group got together in your imagination and has... In reality. Oh, okay. <laughs> at maybe uh, at the Beverly Hills Hilton. Oh, yeah, of course. You know. During their annual meeting. Yes. And, you know, it was unanimous. They go through, they check the submissions, like Teacher of the Year, and uh, <laughs> they see... Like, uh, oh, break the business. This panel that you've created in your head that that says we're new and noteworthy, was it unanimous or was there a dissenting voice? Oh, there was a holdout. There was a holdout? Yeah. Oh, so, so and, 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 and in your fantasy, like, does it have to be unanimous? Did they have to, like, did they have to talk him with the rest of the group, like, you know, 12 Angry like, Men I, style? I just to say 12 Angry Men. Yeah. Um, Hard, Hardwick was, uh, was Henry Fonda in that. <laughs> Oh, so Hardwick and, was fighting for us. That's yeah, cool. he was fighting for us. And your boy Corolla was uh, Lee J. Cobb. <laughs> Again with the, you know what? This one's on. This is my fault for you making the dinosaur Lee J. Cobb reference because I'm the one who brought Twelve Angry Men onto this podcast. Twelve Angry so. Men is a great movie. It's a great movie. And you know what? Amy Schumer just did a Twelve Angry Men parody in a sketch a few weeks ago. So like, it's kind of new. Yeah. Anyway, that was good. So let's get to something actually independent artist related. Let's get to something. Ryan, let me ask you a question. Let's say you have an artistic career going on and you need a manager, right? And you have your mom doing it. Do you think there's a word for that? Sadly, there is a word. And I did not know there was a word for this until I read this recent article by Eric Gardner in The Hollywood Reporter um, referring to actress Misha Barton's momager. A mom manager, and God, can we please get that term out of the lexicon, by the way? Good Lord. That is awful. That is just purely awful, momager. Anyway, so let me tell you a little bit about what's happening in, a, in this recent case, because... <laughs> I was going to say, she brings you a juice box and also wants five points on the back end. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's an industry joke for you. Five points on the back end, I like that. Oh, man. I, I made Rice Krispies squares and industry contacts. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. I just had to do that. That was a good one. No, I'm glad you got that joke in. <laughs> so in April of last year, according to this article from The Hollywood Reporter, um, actress Misha Barton sued her momager. Yes. <laughs> um, claiming breach of their oral momager contract. Oy. And already as, an or already as a lawyer, when the moment I said oral contract, you freaked out. 
Well, yeah, that's like the first I saw it on red your face. flag. Yeah. That's, a, that's the first thing of like, hey, do we just want to not put it in writing? Oh, that's a great idea. That always works. <laughs> yes. And so among the things that Misha alleged in this April lawsuit was that uh, her momager, uh, Misha's momager, Nuala Barton, I believe, yeah. I assume they have the same name. I can't confirm. And, yeah. I'm glad she's got work after The Lion King. That make you feel good? You got the, you got your new wallet joke in there? Yeah, I'm on fire today. Um, you are indeed. Okay, so among the allegations against Nuala, um, the momager, kind of just it just feels gross to say. Yeah. Um, that uh she kept more than ten percent of the or more than the ten percent commission to which she was entitled under the oral contract. But how do we know it was ten percent? It doesn't matter, it's oral. So, you know, one's gonna say it was ten percent, one's gonna say it was ninety percent, and who freaking knows? Either way, yeah, that's what Misha's alleging. Um She's also claiming that her mother misrepresented the amount of compensa- compensation that Misha earned on a movie, and also that she induced Misha, um, we probably say Misha Barton, uh, actress, she was on The O.C., um, did a couple other movies, hasn't done much lately, she's had some kind of stuff going on in her life, but we wish her well. Anyway, um, the third allegation is that uh, the momager induced Misha to buy an $8 million home in Beverly Hills. Uh, which her parents now live in, and they essentially kicked Misha out. Huh. That's that's what's being alleged. So now, fast forward to this week. Yeah. Misha's mom filed what's called a demurrer. Um, every other state calls it a motion to dismiss, but California has to be different, and it's called a demurrer in California. Well, they want the nice legalese and the fancy uh, stuff going back to, like, uh, Coke. Yeah. <laughs> Did you make a Lord Coke reference? That might be the mustiest reference you've ever made. Like, that goes back to, like, the 15th century. But yeah, it's funny how that one's actually the most pertinent one, considering it's law-related. Yeah, that's true. So, like, get, get, get your story straight. Do you not want me to make old common law references? So, but yes. Yeah. So, I, I guess, really, California, even though they're the only one who used this term demur instead of motion to dismiss, they're like, no, no, we're the correct one, because that's, like, the old-timey law term. The rest of you are wrong. Yes. Well, they're pretty bold. Anyway, so they filed a demur, mm-hmm. aka motion to dismiss, in which she, you know, points out some structural problems with the complaint that she says are there, and and that the, you know, you know, not enough specific pleading, whatever. And so this is going to be a mess. You know, artist manager litigation is always a mess. Um, you're talking about two people that started off on good terms and wanted to make beautiful things together and now they hate each other and it's going to be ugly. Hmm. Um, I wonder if this started off actually before she was 18 years old and, uh, before she can even legally enter into a contract. Oh, who knows? I'm sure all that stuff's going to come out and hmm. it's going to be, I mean, I mean, who knows when it started? It's oral. Like, and it's, and, and the thing that adds again, these things, like I said, are all always a uh, hairy and sort of not good. Now you're adding on top of that family. Yes. Artist manager litigation is some of the nastiest litigation out there. It only gets further compounded by the fact, it only further gets exacerbated Mm -hmm. when you are dealing with an oral agreement, because, you know, because now you have to basically fight out in court what the terms of the agreement are before you can even figure out who breached what, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a mess, and I feel bad for the judge who has to (laughs) deal with all this. Um, I hope they, you know, put out a lot of pots of coffee, and it's even more compounded by the fact that you're dealing with family, and which basically never works out and so this story because i mean there's a new artist manager litigation that pops up every week in the hollywood reporter it seems and i think with these stories continuing to come out i think it's a good way to segue into a greater discussion for independent artists which is how to deal with artist managers whether you need a manager and so what i want to do uh during this segment dave is lay out six things 
for independent artists to consider okay. when thinking about getting a manager. Sure. Um, many independent artists out there who are running their careers, um, if they've achieved any kind of career success, they've the thought has at least crossed their mind, should I have somebody who's running my operation so that I can have time to do more of the creative stuff and they run the day-to-day business stuff? Many artists have thought that. Even the ones who don't have managers, they have thought about it. And so for those artists, I think there are a few considerations that you want to keep in mind that Dave and I are going to talk about right now. Um, So there's six of them. We'll start with number one. Um, Number one, directly informed by this Misha Barton case, no momagers. (laughs) No momagers, no dad managers, no, you know, uncle uncle-gers, none of that. Keep your family out of it um, for a couple reasons. One, artist management relationships almost always go south. Uh, it's two people working together. And, it, and when two people work together for a long enough time, when, when two people are together for a long enough time, whether it's a business deal or a marriage or anything, like it's going to be a mess. Something's going to go south. And so you want to ask yourself, if it has a good chance of going south, do you want it to go south? with a business person that you don't have a strong connection to, or do you want it going south with a parent? Because if it goes south with a parent, not only do you lose the manager, but you lose somebody you love. And by the way, and this isn't to say that a mom or a dad or a family member doesn't play an important role in an artist's career. I was just going to actually make sure you clarify that for us, because I know we've, uh, I think one of the things we learned from Mary Jennings uh, way back when was, you know, use the people you have around you. Yeah. You're not saying, for people out there, it's like, no, he's not saying don't use those people for any anything whatsoever like to, to cut them off from your career just don't sign contracts right. with them don't, don't get have into them, business deals don't with them don't have them in charge you know if dad says oh by the way yeah isn't it great that i have this connection at such and such use that yeah but not in terms of hey can you run everything right and if you think about it there are times when you need there are things that your mother or your father will do for you as an entertainer That might be different than what a manager will do for you as an entertainer. A manager is trying to do what's best for your business and what will maximize your profitability. Your mom or your dad, that's the person in your life that's supposed to be looking out for you as a human being. And so what you would want theoretically is your manager comes to you with some business idea. Hey, I think we should do this. And as a performer, you should be able to go to your mom and your dad and say, you know, talk to me as a person. Is this, do you think in your wisdom this is a good thing for me to do as a person. The moment you make the mom the momager, now you have conflicting interests. I was to say the three words: conflict of absolutely interest. bad words. And you don't you you want those people to be different people. And by the way, and you know this is gonna you know I'm sure if there are any momagers listening right now, and I don't mean to just hate on moms like dads, any family members, um, might be upset what I'm about to say. But the other reason why you don't want these people is that they're pretty much not. They're rarely actual business experts and your manager isn't, you can't have your manager being just some person who loves you. It has to be somebody who knows how to run an organization. It has to be somebody with business sense and business skills. And when I tell this to artists, I always get this comment back to me, Dave, which Uh is, but my career is not complicated enough yet to need some business expert. I don't need that in a manager. I just need the person who's going to counsel me. I don't need somebody who, you know, who knows the ins. I don't need an MBA. I don't need somebody who knows the ins and outs of industry and commerce. And my response to that is, if you don't need that in a manager yet, then you don't need a manager. Right. Um, which brings me to point number two. 
you probably don't need a manager yet. (laughs) 95% of the artists who are listening to this podcast right now, without even knowing you sight unseen, I'm going to go ahead and say you probably don't need a manager because most indie artists out there don't need a manager. A manager is there to run the day-to-day aspects of your operation because, you know, basically, well, here's the best way to put it. I have artists come to me all the time Mm -hmm. and they'll say, you know, I get get two, with, with regard to managers, I get two requests. One is, um, hey, would you be interested in being my manager? To which my response is, God, no. Hmm. <laughs> like, I can't think of a, I can't think of anything more horrifying than like having that job. Um, the second request I get is, can you refer me to somebody good? Can you refer me to a manager? And when I hear that, at first I get happy because I want artists to succeed. And so when an artist says I need a manager, my first thought is, awesome. Congratulations. This is fantastic. The idea that your music career has gotten so big and so complicated and so crazy that you need somebody to run the day-to-day aspects of your operation. That's congratulations on your success. At which point they go, oh, no, no, my, my career hasn't really done very much yet, but I figure a manager can help me with that. Oh, God. Yeah, I think that's then the distinction between a manager and a publicist. Right, 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 right. So, <laughs> It's funny when these artists come up to me and they, and they don't, and, and all they have basically of their entertainment career, they have the entertainment career equivalent of a lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. And when somebody with the lemonade stand comes to me and says they need a manager, they think they need a manager. What they actually need is something else. For example, and it, and it comes with a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what a manager does. Um, sometimes the artist says, I need a manager because I need somebody to help my career get bigger. That's not a manager's job. That, as you pointed out so astutely, Dave, is a publicist's job. And by the way, it's not really fully a publicist's job. Making you big is nobody's job but yours. Mm -hmm. A publicist can help you a little bit. It can give you a, a few boosts on individual projects. But the only person whose job it is to make you famous is you. Mm-hmm. And it comes with hard work and it comes with, you know, using social media and crowdfunding and doing all the things you do to boost your career. That is your job, not a manager's job and not a, not even necessarily a publicist's job. I was going to say, given our technology, the 21st century and all our, our, our magic rectangles we're holding in our hands yeah, all the time in our smartphones. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to call it the magic rectangles. It has <laughs> the entire sum of human knowledge available, mm-hmm. um, which we, we rarely use. Uh, not on can, this show anyway. Yeah, no, no. Oh God, no, we're dumb. <laughs> Um, no, you can control this. You, you probably all have Twitter. You all have, you know, YouTube access, everything. It's like, you can do it folks. You don't right. need to, why would you pay someone if, if money is not really going to be coming in at a fast clip, why are you spending it on something needless like That's... that? View it, you, even just view it in terms of like those economic terms. Do I want to, am I big enough to have a payroll? Do you need a payroll? Right. You know, chances are no, you don't need to have an HR department yet. Right. If, if it's just you, you certainly don't need a manager. And even if it's a small staff, you probably still don't need a manager. Um, it's only when it becomes so crazy that it becomes, you know, cost prohibitive. The opportunity cost of your time being spent on other things is too valuable. Until you get to that point, which, by the way, not very many indie artists are at. You don't need a manager. And by the way, there are plenty of artists out there, indie artists who are very big, who are very established, who could get a manager and probably, you know, benefit from one, who still choose not to have one. Because they decide, often correctly, that nobody is better suited to run their own organization than they are. So a manager is not a necessary thing, even if you're a big-time artist. But it's certainly not necessary as you're still fledgling. Okay. Um, sorry, you had, you had a... No, I'm saying, so what's now... Oh, sorry. Before I get to number three, 
Um, you're saying I'm moving through these too slowly. This is good advice, I think. <laughs> so um, the other reason why people think they need managers is they think, I need somebody who's going to book me gigs. That's not a manager's job. That's a booking agent's job. And by the way, we're going to talk a little bit about, in a later tip, why managers shouldn't be booking gigs for you anyway. But finally, well, not finally, let's go to number three. And the you know things you should consider when you're looking at getting an artist manager. And this is, again, informed by the Misha Barton case, as well as many other cases that have come before it. If somebody wants to manage you and you think this is going to happen and they want you to agree to work with them, you have to get this agreement in writing. You know, you need a written legal document that, by the way, you absolutely have to get looked at by an attorney and marked up by an attorney and somebody who can redline the hell out of it before you agree to work with somebody. Yeah. And if the manager says, I don't do it that way, or let's let's not get <laughs> lawyers involved. Walk away. Run. That's true. <laughs> Run, don't walk. Like, you know, you know what they tell you like those old Stranger Danger videos that we watched in elementary school yes. where Stranger Danger. Right. Where like this, you know, they show like the the dramatization and like the dude in the members only jacket, because he's always wearing a members only jacket. Saying that your mom told yeah. your old friend of your mom's and I'm here to pick you up from school. Right. And I'm here to pick you up from school, Jimmy. I'm a friend of your mom's. Exactly. And in those videos, they don't tell you to like, you know, say no thank you. They, they, what they tell you to do in those videos is to turn, run, and find, scream help. Find an adult. Yes. Like, you're supposed to go, ah, I need an adult. Run. Yes. If someone <laughs> says like, hey, man, you're blowing up big time. Let's sign stuff. Or let's, let's, let's work something in handshake. We, oh, don't need no, we don't need no lawyers, man. Right. Yeah, we don't need just, lawyers, This right? is just about you and me, man. <laughs> We're just talking, man. Who yeah. needs to get lawyers involved, yeah. right? Those sharks. <laughs> yeah. Up top. You know, <laughs> like you need to run from those people. Yes. Run and get an adult. <laughs> yes. You need to, and scream. I need an adult. That's yeah. because, and for, for the people who, and again, this is cause you know, everybody loves to hate on lawyers and say, Oh, all we do is make things more complicated. Contracts are not a bad thing. Aside from the fact that like, cause sometimes they'll say, Oh, like, why do you need a contract? Are you planning to sue me? Contracts aren't just about suing. Sometimes it's just good for both sides to have signed a piece of paper that says, here are the rules we're going to play yes. by. This is what we're going to do. Right. So that one person doesn't have a different idea of the contract than somebody else. Because as we see with this Misha Barton case, Misha's mom seems to think she gets a different percentage than Misha does. That's the kind of stuff you want in a contract so that right. you don't have... But Ryan, who has time to write things out? Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, for some, you know... You know, Misha Barton, like, you know, this is for like millions of dollars that she's dealing right. with. But I don't have time. In today's to fast-paced world, I mean, you know, it's the 90s, man. Who's got time? It's the 90s. And yes, so again, get it in writing. Have a lawyer look at it. And it's for everybody's sake. This isn't just yeah. to protect the artist. It's to protect the manager, too. Like, we should all know what rules we play by. But and that just works in life in general. You know, yeah. contracts. Yeah, contracts. Generally a good what, thing. When was the last time you left a car dealership without signing anything? Yeah. Those people want you to sign a deal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, the car dealer is not going to let you work on an oral contract. Yeah. Um, so, number four, and touching back on something we said earlier. If a manager comes up to you, approaches you, and as part of their deal says... They can find gigs for you. That's another stranger danger red flag. You need to run away. Um, in most states, including the states that matter in terms of entertainment law, such as California, you are not allowed to act as a booking agent. In other words, a person who books gigs for people, unless you have a license to act as a book booking agent and you are licensed by the, you know, the labor commission of that state. And as part of that license, you have to keep your, um, your fee, you know, your, your commission low. 
That's interesting. So it's almost like they're identifying a thing where people are predators yeah. and taking advantage of people. That's exactly right. Are you right. saying they do that for money, Ryan? <laughs> I don't know, man. Right. And so if this manager says they can book gigs for you and they're not a licensed talent agent, that means they don't know how the law works in their industry, which means they really shouldn't be your manager. By the way, and, and you know, be, particularly because a lot of artist managers have lost a lot of money because of this law. In the state of California, if you're a manager who like calls up clubs and bars and books your artist client for gigs... Under the California labor law, all of those commissions that you got from booking those gigs, if the artist takes you to the labor commissioner, you have to disgorge all of those earnings. You have to give it all back to the artist, which if oh, you, wow. yeah, which if you work with an artist for a number of years can be millions of dollars. And so despite these significant penalties, if the, if you, the manager don't know this law on, you know, or, or rather if you as an artist confront a manager who doesn't know this law and how badly it can hurt them, they don't know what they're doing and you need to run. It's not a manager's job to book you gigs. That's a booking agent. A manager runs the day-to-day aspects of your operation in that regard. Number five, and this is, these next two are the ones that are going to get managers pissed off at me. But I'll tell you, if an artist comes to me and looks at a management deal and these two provisions aren't in there, I would never advise a client to sign this deal. And they are. number. So this is number five. Artist gets final word on all decisions. Artist mm-hmm. keeps control. And this is something I tell artists all the time with managers. The manager's job is to manage the artist's career, not to manage the artist. I like that distinction. That's yeah. nice. Yeah, the, the artist, man, you know, you, know, you man, you know, like... If it's if it's a corporate if it's a corporate hierarchy, the manager is the chief operating officer, but the artist is the CEO. Serves at the pleasure of the CEO. Right. Yeah. Serves at the pleasure of the CEO. Think of it as like the president of the United States and the White House chief of staff. Artist is the president, the manager is the chief of staff who runs the staff, you know, mm-hmm. makes sure everything, you know, runs on time, carries out the artist's directives. In far too many situations in the contracts I read, it's the opposite. The manager is at the top of the pyramid, can tell the artist what to do, gets all the final say in what the artist does, and basically is controlled by the managers, by the manager. And those situations are horrifying. Yeah. Plus, um, I mean, you know, the West Wing's about Martin Sheen, not Leo McGarrett. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You want to be the Martin Sheen in this relationship. Yeah. One situation where I might be willing to give the manager a little teensy, teensy bit control as a minor exception is I might be willing to advise an artist that it's okay to give the manager power of attorney. Power of attorney meaning you can sign contracts on behalf of the artist. But I still curb this very narrowly because I understand that there are situations where it might just be more efficient to have the manager sign the agreement. Maybe the artist is on the road and you just need something signed right away and the artist, you can't reach them. But even with that power of attorney, I would still put something in the agreement saying that the artist, that the manager has to get the artist's approval at least in an email or on the phone or something like you can't just sign it without saying, Hey, to the artist, Hey artist, uh, you know, we got this gig in, you know, Temecula. Um, I, I was trying to think of the funniest city I could think of, uh, in, uh, Walla Walla. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we go with this and the artist goes, yeah, good. Okay. Then you can sign. Um, that would be the, and even then, you know, that's always been my recommendation with power of attorney, but I think even that is sort of, fading because nowadays like we have as you say these magic smartphone boxes mm-hmm. and there are plenty of apps where you can sign things electronically that you scan it sign something yeah. scan it send it over again and now you've got 
executed copies anyway. Yeah. So, so how hard would it for a manager to you know call up the artist? Hey, artist, uh, we got this uh, Temecula gig, this Walla Walla gig. Give me another funny city. Come on. Uh. Timbuktu. Timbuktu. Yeah. Wait, that's that's not even in the United States. That's, well, that's in, how far away it is. Well, because Timbuktu is in Africa, isn't it? There is a Timbuktu, right? Yeah, there's a Timbuktu in Kalamazoo. <laughs> yeah, there is a Kalamazoo. Okay, so you have these two gigs in Timbuktu and Kalamazoo, which are really far away from each other, and that's going to be tough. But you know, well, hey, the artist is big. They're big in Michigan and somewhere. I think um, it's Western Africa. Somewhere in Western Africa, I think there's a Timbuktu. Either way, are you going to look this up? Yeah. Okay. While you're, well, I'm gonna get the research department on. While this. you're looking up where Timbuktu is, um, I'll, I'll explain this concept further. So, in this era where you can electronically sign stuff with smartphones and things like that, how hard would it be for the manager to call the artist, say, "Hey, artist, we got this Timbuktu Kalamazoo, you know, overnight gig," which I think would be impossible because they're too far away. Um, I'm sending you the contract. Just go ahead and you know stick your electronic signature on that. We'll be good to go. Mali, Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's right. Western Africa. There you go. So yeah, that that'd be. It'd be tough to do Kalamazoo, Michigan, and Timbuktu, Mali back to back. Either that's, way, that's a wide-reaching audience. So great job, artist. But if the artist signs it, then you know whatever. So, but even then, that. But but again, it, it it illustrates the broader point that the manager carries out and executes the artist's directives. But the artist is still at the top of the pyramid. Um, as an artist, or as you artists out there. I would not recommend you sign anything less than that. You have to be the captain of your own ship. That's the whole essence of the Break the Business book and what we talk about on this show is it's about the artist keeping control, keeping this as an artist-centered music industry, not a manager-centered music industry. And finally, the last one, and this is the one that I think is really going to get managers pissed. Um, But managers, let me tell you that this is something that um, is for your benefit too. I would not advise an artist to sign any management contract that does not let either party leave the agreement at any time. You know, in the spirit of, you know, you know, you're the CEO, the manager's the COO, or as you put it, well, you know, better, the the manager's the chief of staff that serves at the pleasure of the president, you serve at the pleasure of the president, which means the president can ask for your letter of rec- resignation, recognition, letter of resignation <laughs> at any time. It's basically, it's a lawyer-client relationship. That's right. You know, the lawyer works for the client. The, what the client says goes. There's no such thing as a lawyer saying, well, I don't care what you're saying. I'm doing it this way. Yeah, and I'm keeping you as my client. Yeah, you th- can't their leave strat- me. Their strategy is like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to do this. You, you you want me to settle? Screw you. I'm going to trial. No, that's what's going to get you in front of the board. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. The bar, yeah. you know. That's what's always very funny. It's like, managers, always, like when I, when I say to managers, you shouldn't be able to keep an artist in a management deal longer than they want to be. Um, I always remind them that, Lawyers can be fired at any time. We're not allowed to have contracts with clients in which you keep somebody in, in, a, in a lawyer-client relationship longer than they want to. Booking agents, same thing. You can fire a booking agent pretty much at any time. But managers want this kind of special treatment. Um, don't sign any deal in which that has a set term where the artist, where you as the artist cannot leave early. Last week, or was it a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Kesha Dr. Luke case. Yeah. Um, where we illustrated what can happen when you basically have an agreement that forces two people to stay together long after a relationship goes south. If you, the artist, and you, the manager, are disagreeing, if you're if your number one lieutenant, if your chief of staff is starting to have significant problems with you, you can't keep them around because that's supposed to be your person that's supposed to be you know, representing you to your greater organization. Um, but that being said, when I talk to managers, they always come to me with this with this argument, this counter argument, um, and it has some merit to it, but not a lot, which is I need this protection as the manager. 
because what would stop the artist from immediately achieving career stardom? Like the moment they get their big piece of stardom, they cut bait with me so they don't have to pay me commissions. Like I basically spend all these resources and all my time getting this artist to the top. And once they get there, they push me off the mountain. That's the counter argument that the managers make. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess I get that concern, but there's two things that you should be keeping in mind, manager. Um, The first is the fact that to have that view, I think, misunderstands what a manager does. If you conceive the manager as somebody who's supposed to make you famous, then perhaps, you know, there is some merit to that argument because it's like, oh, I made you famous. Now you're going to get rid of me. But remember, that's not what a manager is supposed to do. The manager runs the day-to-day aspects of your operation. So the moment you get to the top of the mountain, that's all the more reason for the artist to want to keep you around. Because now my life is more complicated than ever as the artist. I have my, my operation has gotten all the more sophisticated. I now need you more than ever to manage my career manager. Um, and so that's, so that's the first counter argument. And the second one, and you know, I'll even agree to this in some uh, artist manager provisions, which is if the manager is so afraid of getting kicked off the top of the mountain once they get there, build some kind of sunset clause arrangement in the deal which says, um, you can fire me at any time. As a manager, I can quit at any time. And if that happens, I still get entitled to a piece of your earnings because that's how managers are usually compensated, you know, percentage of the artist's income. Right. I still get a piece of my income for the next three years to compensate me for what I did to help you get to where you are. Um, that's known as a sunset clause. And assuming that the terms are you know, limited in scope, I think a sunset clause is perfectly fair. I wouldn't let a sunset clause go on indefinitely. And maybe I would only limit it to the career activities that the manager helped in uh, administering for the artist. So like if a, if an, if a, you know, if, if five weeks down the road after the manager is gone, the artist gets some like endorsement deal or something and the manager had nothing to do with that, then they probably shouldn't get those earnings. But right. But for fair work done, it should be fair compensation. Absolutely. It, it does go both ways. That's right. I mean, so this isn't me trying to screw managers. This is me trying to prevent no. yeah. Kesha but, and Dr. Luke from happening, from bad relationships right. happening. But you're saying these six things are probably going to piss off managers. Well, particularly those last two, because managers right. love that long-term deal, and they love having the full creative control. Right. But what was that? Are we getting another knock at the door? Oh, God. Are we, are I we told have to you stop, stop tape again? I told you to get a light. I seriously told you to get... It's open. We're in the middle of a show. Uh, this is so embarrassing. Hey. This happened with Keith Richards, and now it's happening again? Yeah, I uh, heard someone talk about management. Oh, my goodness. Is that is that music industry fat cat? I, he was here last week, wasn't he? Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, he stopped by, and now all he's right, here. All right, let me get him a, uh, a chair. Yeah, welcome yeah. to the podcast, music industry fat cat. This is, uh, this is interesting. Um... I didn't expect you to be here. I didn't think you'd be a fan of this show. It kind of goes against a lot of the stuff that we, you know, that you stand for, you know. Trust me, I'm not a fan, Brian. Um, wait, wait. You know, this is, seems to be a problem that a lot of um, our guests have had. Um, my name is Ryan, not Brian. Hey, listen, I heard what Keith Richards said, all right? He said your name was Brian. I'm going to listen to Keith Richards. Am I listen to Keith Richards or some punk like you? I guess, yeah, Keith is more established. Right. Um, Dave, Dave, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, sir. Um, yeah, so I, I, I get it. Like, I feel a little nervous because each week we basically rail against, you know, big music industry folks like you. Yeah. Why, why are you picking on the little guy, Ryan? Oh, shoot. I said your name right. Damn you, it. You did. Blast. <laughs> why are you picking on us little guys? We're just trying to wet our whistle and get our beaks wet. 
there's nothing wrong with that, ain't there? You're, you're absolutely right. I, I'm not, you know, less people think that I'm against artist managers. I know a lot of artist managers, a lot of great, honest ones who do a very good job for their clients. What I fight against are the more corrupt managers, the one that insist on predatory terms in their deals, that take too much from their artists, that don't do enough stuff for their artists, that take control away from their artists. But, but Ryan, I'm a busy guy. I got other artists. What if, you know, if I don't get to you today, that's fine. Maybe <laughs> next month or whatever. And why, why you want to complicate it with these papers, uh, these contracts? Who needs them, well, right? Contracts are important, music industry fat cat. It's, it's good for people to know the rules that they're playing by. Uh, but would you at least agree with me on the fact that you should let artists keep control over their careers, that you work for the artist and not the artist work for you? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. I mean, uh, sure, they're doing all the work. They're creating everything. It's their life. It's their work. But uh, hey, man, I, I'd like to get paid, too. I'd like to keep some control because uh, I'm a fat cat. Yeah, well, that, and that is what fat cats do. I mean, your name is Music Industry Fat Cat. That would sort of be in your wheelhouse. Yeah, it's on the business card, see? Yeah, let me see here. Uh, music Industry Fat Cat. Well, there you go. It, it all checks out. Yeah, um, my, my parents had a plan for me. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> she was a momager. I'm, so, I'm supposed to keep a straight face through these and like try to do this as serious, and I, I keep uh, screwing up. Dave, do you want to get in on this? Actually, no, I'm, I'm cool here from the sidelines. I mean, that's, that's all right. You, so you, you guys can talk and everything. All right, buddy, just let me know if you want to come on in. All right, so, that's fine. So, what about the last piece I said, music industry fat cat, about how a good management agreement should let the artist or the manager basically leave at any time? Either let the artist manager quit when they feel like quitting, and let or let the uh, artist fire the manager. Because you don't want to work with somebody that where the relationship's going south, right? Well, that depends. If they're making me money, then yes. If they're losing me money, then no. <laughs> but if they're losing me money, I at the same time don't want to take the chance that they might make them any other ways. So I got to make sure I keep them uh, locked up, as it were. Oh. In a prison. Yeah, that's right. A prison. That seems like not a good metaphor to help your cause, music industry fat cat. Well, no one listens to this, Ryan. What are you, new and nutworthy? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Music Industry Fat Cat, for being on the show. Make sure, folks, give me a call. 555-MONEY. Yeah, um, I'm sure artists would benefit very much from having you as their manager, Music Industry Fat Cat. Boy, that was, that was nice of him to show up. And he wasn't nearly as upset as I thought he'd be. I he, thought maybe he'd have some muscle with him. Um, that being said, I think we should you know, have someone else start our car. Yeah. I'm thinking like, we leave. yeah, he doesn't make his own threats. He has other people do that for him. Right. Um, but that, that was, that was nice. It was, it's, you know, even though we're an indie artist podcast, I think it's good to get the big industry perspective. Um, you know, just give equal time, you know, so perfectly yes. reasonable having music yes. industry fat cat here. He's welcome here anytime. Yes. Vague industry, not representative of any company. <laughs> All right. Very good. Um, we got the D block coming up next. We'll be right back on the break. The business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at break at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K A I R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Our thanks to Music Industry Fat Cat for coming in last segment. And here we were saying that we weren't bringing in a guest this week. And, and we actually shows had, up. We had two guests, but uh, listeners have to go to Twitter. 
if they want to see who the other guest oh, was. Oh, yes. You just tweeted out a picture of a cute thing that was in your chair. And so if you want to be one of the 20 people who see what this is, you have to follow Dave on Twitter at DKAYE1027. Well, you can retweet, retweet it. We retweet it. Yeah, I don't too. follow you on Twitter, so. Oh, that's so hurtful. How are you gonna know? How are you gonna know what what we're talking about? Where we're gonna meet in person or talk on the phone? Those things. Of course, I follow you on Twitter. Come on now. I know you do. Yes. Um, but anyway, I figure that's a it's a great way to like promote stuff and get people interested and like have mystery and everything. Like, ooh, yeah, is this, is this content not available for a listener? You actually have to see it. You know what would be fun? No, I like it. it's like an Easter egg. Um, you know, Easter be, egg. That's the word. You know what would be fun? I would love to have a listener. If we have any listeners out there who are good at drawing, um, you know, email breakthebusiness at gmail.com or tweet at, uh, at Ryan K-A-I-R. Draw us a picture of what you think music industry fat cat looks like. I'm a little curious. Like I, I, like I have an image of him and you probably do too. Like I'm envisioning like, you know, a guy, cigar in his mouth, big portly, you know, mm-hmm. three piece suit, but his gut is like, you know, really pushing against that vest. Yeah. Um. Definitely pinstripes. Um. I'm thinking. Yeah. And the suit. Um. But I would love to. I, I want. I want because I can't draw, unfortunately. Me neither. But I would love to have somebody who can draw just show us music industry fat cat. Um. If you do, we'll we'll tweet it out, and I think it'll be fun. So Dave has been kind enough, and thank you, Dave. Um. I had an idea for the D block. Yeah. Which is normally you know D for Dave. But uh, I had an article, and Dave has sort of let me run with it, and I want to make that what the D block is about this week, which is I have decided I have decided to relinquish control to you because every week it's usually just shaming my ability to never win your game show. But you've granted me a reprieve from that for one week, yes, so that I can uh, bring a article to you. The governor's office has called. You are spared. Ah, uh, for now, for now. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, did a poll of Hollywood insiders, like TV industry insiders. Great, great publication. Yeah. Uh, we get a lot of great legal news from them. Um, they did a list. They, they had these insiders make a list of the 100 best television shows. And I know you're a big TV guy. You mm-hmm. love TV. You love movies. This is you know your domain. And you know I want to you know talk about this list with you, see what you think of it. Uh, okay. We'll have a little bit of fun with the list. Sure. Um, and the moment when I opened this list and it said that they polled Hollywood insiders, that already made me kind of queasy because I'm like, this is going to be some stuffy, you know, 90 year old people that are putting this list together and it's not going to be what, you know, people from our generation think is good. But, you know, most of the list I think is okay. They mm-hmm. didn't do too bad of a job. Some of them I'm like, oh, you have to be kidding me. Right. But I'll give you the top five and let me know what you think of this top five. Okay. Number five, Seinfeld. Absolutely great show. Yeah. Love that show. Love Seinfeld. Uh, number four, Game of Thrones. I'll be perfectly honest with you. This may be a very controversial statement. I don't watch Game of Thrones. Really? I'm a nerd who likes all this other stuff. Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Doctor Who, uh, comic books, comic, comic book movies. Uh, for whatever reason, the first season, the first few episodes, I couldn't get into it. I know it's probably one of those slow burn things. Yeah, like, oh, very slow burn Game which, of Thrones. Which I've, I've never appreciated shows like, oh, you got to wait until like the fifth episode. You got to wait until the fifth season. You got to, it's like no one ever said about Gunsmoke. Oh, dude, in season 15, it really gets good. Gunsmoke? Oh, 
That's so dangerous. You'll, you'll have to tell me if Gunsmoke made the list. Well, no. I, I, <laughs> perhaps the better perhaps the better metaphor is like if somebody had gave you chocolate ice cream and said, oh, no, no, you got to get like eight bites into it. Like the first eight bites are, are not so great. But like once you get that ninth bite, oh, it's so good and so yeah, delicious. For whatever re- and, and again, because I know how some of this stuff happens, I, 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 to be perfectly honest, like the whole Red Wedding thing, I don't know what actually happens. I know people die. And there's a wedding. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? It could be a metaphor. But <laughs> but like the fact that I know what happened to Sean Bean. You do, yeah. That Most, he's, he, he's dead. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler. No, I'm yeah. Just Which usually Sean happens Bean. in everything. So, man, you, whew, you don't see it coming in The Martian. Um, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm joking. Don't spoil The Martian. Well, he doesn't die or does he? See it yourself. <laughs> Brought to you by well, The Martian. Do you think it's a, <laughs> do you think it's a little interesting that Game of Thrones made it all the way to number four, despite the fact that it's only been on for like four or five Th- years. That that feels like, uh, oh God, what's the word? It's like flavor, of the, not flavor of the month sort of thing, but it's like, oh, it's recent in time, therefore it's like it's in people's heads. Or maybe like TV industry fat cat like paid off some people at the Hollywood Reporter. If to- I may, oh, you know what? Oh, I know what it is. If I may steal a phrase from a beloved local radio and now national radio personality, Dan Levitard, prisoner of the moment. Yeah, do you think that's what this is? Like they're just way too caught up in game of Thrones and 10 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, wow, I can't believe we ranked it that high. Maybe. Yeah. It's a good show. Uh, Cause yeah. Right. So that's for game of Thrones. Number three. This was interesting to me because I thought this was a good show growing up, but I didn't think top five, the X files. I didn't watch the X files growing up either. So you didn't want, I, 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 I was sort of into it. it I watched the cool. movie. Do you remember the movie? I do. The first movie. I'm just probably think there was another one. There was another one. And they're actually bringing the X-Files back. I think yes. it's going to have like a Netflix show or Hulu, one of those. One of those things that's not network television anymore because network television isn't making good TV anymore. That's right. Um, but I mean, top three is, seems like... I think but people liked it. It was good, but I, I, I can understand it. Um, yeah. Number two, and I think this might even be ranked too low, despite being number two, Breaking Bad. Which I think many TV experts might say, perhaps the greatest television show ever made. Um, perhaps some of the best acting. Okay. I mean, it, no, it was good. I liked it. Now, I, I didn't watch it first run. I binged it actually earlier this year. Actually, uh, what was it, like five seasons or something? Uh, it was five seasons. Five seasons. I think I probably spent a grand total of maybe the equivalent of like seven seven days, maybe less, actually binging it. <laughs> wow, that must have been a crazy week for you. How bad did you smell by season five? Oh, no, it wasn't like a full-on week, but it was like days here and there after coming back from work, just, you know, boom, there, like on the weekends, <laughs> just sitting on the couch watching damn <laughs> Breaking Bad. It was, re- it was a really great show. I, I really, really liked it. But towards the end, you know, Walter White just became so unlikable that for me, it's sort of like it was just ending on this weird note. You didn't you, know? you didn't like because many people would say that the fifth the final season might be the best season. You I liked the fact that he sort of descended into something much more dark. He starts off the show very pure, like I'm just a chemistry teacher trying to help my family, you know, sling some meth on the side. And by the end of it, he's like a full on like corrupted I, drug kingpin. I did it for me. I did, I did it I for me. It. Yeah, I like it. I'm good at it. And I liked like what you seem to find as a fault in the show. I liked you know the the show forced us as viewers to you know to you know basically reevaluate what you know our notions of good and evil and whether we should be rooting for the main characters and shows and you know you know the person like we spend four seasons falling in love with this character and then by the end like we're challenged to still like him even though he becomes you know so evil 
Um, I think that's awesome. But see, it's almost interesting because like I, I did, I did watch The Sopranos growing up. So actually, like you know, as they were coming out on HBO on Sunday nights, and that was obviously that's the first show that did that sort of anti-hero thing: take a bad guy and make him the centerpiece, and sort of basically force the audience to like him. That Sopranos feel, number six, by the way, just missed the top five. I feel like it, sh- it should have been higher then. It so was that, a good show. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Anyway, Breaking, ba- Breaking Bad was two. So number one, and I. So w- what is this? I do not know this. Number one. Um, I get why this is number one. I mean, I get it. Uh-huh. I don't like if I was to rank. I mean, it was it was, it was a good show, but if I was to rank it, I'd probably put it maybe in the twenties, maybe late teens. Um, definitely a crowd pleaser. Is it uh, uh, Franklin and Bash? <laughs> I was waiting for you to just come up with some like random TV show that ran three seasons. <laughs> Franklin and Bash. You know, Franklin and Bash was number seven just behind The Sopranos, of course. Is it Jag? <laughs> Wings? Wings. No, number one was Friends. I don't agree with that. Yeah, oh, really? That, no, that's bull. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, you've got me so scared that I, like, I'm cursing, but there's no FCC here. That's true. You, do you want, okay, go ahead. You want to say what, 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 what do you think of Friends number one ranking? I don't agree with it. <laughs> Damn it. Um, <laughs> so, no, it, it's, it's hogwash. It's malarkey, you know. Like, now, I'm saying it should be somewhere in the 20s. Do you think I'm ranking it too high? I guess it can be in the twenties, but like here, let's 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 go through the list and just sort of like pick out things. I think I mean, my my view is as you're sort of fine because now I, I'm here. Here's the link; you can check it out. Um, my view is with Friends, it's it's a good show. Like I mean, if it, if it's on TV, I'm flipping through channels. Sometimes I'll stop on it. I don't think it's aged well. I think there are at least ten comedies that are out right now um, that are probably funnier than Friends is. Like, but, like, I, I, for its time, it was good because, I mean, let's be honest, like sitcoms in the 80s, 90s, like there weren't a lot of great ones. You know, you know, go back and watch Coach. Ugh. It's bad. It's bad. Go back and like, go find an episode of Coach. Like, it's just not funny. And, but, you know, so Friends was better than a very low bar that was set back then. But, by today's comedy standards, I just mm. do, I just don't think it holds up. Plus, also, I mean, you don't see women walking around with the Rachel anymore. What, with, with the Rachel haircut? Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that is not such a test time. This is intriguing. Nin, number 93. Do you want to know what 93 is out of 100? Number 93. What's number 93? The Brady Bunch. Oh, God. That shouldn't be on the list. Really? Uh, not on the list. That's another, like, you know, I think we have to look at everything from, like, the 60s with a grain, if not a shaker of salt, you know, the Brady bunch was, you know, it ran for what? 55 years, probably. And it had 20,000 episodes, but it, it, it reigned supreme in a time where there were like three channels and two of them were, you know, just watching that Indian head in front of a color test. Like that's when the Brady bunch succeeded. The Brady bunch was objectively, I'm going to make so many enemies with this, but objectively not a good show. It just wasn't funny. By the way, you, you said how long you think it was on? How long? According to this, the Hollywood Reporter says 1969 to 1974. Really? Why did I think it? Because remember back then, people, they had like 300 episodes. Yes, <laughs> right. It ran for five years and had 25,000 episodes. Like the moment they record, finished recording one, they went right into the next one. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why so many shows from that era are bad because they diluted the product so much by having so many episodes. Like Breaking Bad had like 13 episodes a season. 
but every episode was so good. Now, this is an interesting mix of old and new here. Number 90 is Arrow. Arrow? Yeah, no, I don't. I haven't watched it, so I, mean, I don't know, but I haven't... I've seen a few episodes of it, like... I don't it's hear okay. Pe- I don't hear people outside. Of, I don't really hear people outside of like comic book circles kind of like talking about it in terms of like, oh, this is like a new, like good wave of like comic properties and everything and comic IPs. Oh, you know, it's a good superhero show that probably didn't make this list, but I think it's better than Arrow because I've seen episodes of both is Daredevil on Netflix. I watched Daredevil and I think w- w- it, and I thought it was good until I finally had a conversation with you and we realized that the show boils down to aggressive gentrification. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it is. Like that's what that's what Wilson Fisk is trying to do on that show. Yes, the Kingpin is just trying to build new housing, new commercial properties, new commercial real estate in a very old bad part of town. I think also they say like was damaged during what the Avengers uh, two. Yeah, they they had some linkage of those shows. they're, They're linking the universes and everything. And essentially, Daredevil Matt Murdock is like no. We're going to keep the charm, quote unquote, of this old city and all these dilapidated buildings and just old time stuff and mold and mildew and, you know, crappy housing versus Wilson Fisk, you know, wanting to do good for the city. Wait, you, city. You are not going to besmirch the good name of Vincent D'Onofrio. This might be controversial to say. I think Vincent D'Onofrio is the best. God, maybe you shouldn't go that far. Top three. Top three portrayals of Mar- Marvel villains in anything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He does such a good job on that show. Vincent D'Onofrio is great. Well, that's interesting because okay, you did you you said you you honed it down to only Marvel. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take the DC out of it. That's fine. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not going to put him up against Heath Ledger's Joker. No, that's but he's really good. Um, it's a great nuanced well, portrayal. I mean, let's see, Marvel. I mean, I would have Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin up there. <laughs> You, no, I'm yeah, serious. You, that has to be a joke. Willem Dafoe wasn't good? His costume looked like a Power Ranger villain. I'm not talking about his costume. I'm talking about his performance. I I feel compelled to disqualify almost everything from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Well, first of all, those were the good Spider-Mans, not this new age tween crap. Well, with, that's bad, with too. Andrew but... Garfield. No, the first Spider-Man was good, and you know it. Don't give me that crap. It's been a while, but come on, don't give me that. You know it's good. You know it's good. You liked it. All right, point conceded. You Spider-Man still... 1 was acceptable. And Spider-Man 2. You're going to try to bring me in on Spider-Man 2? Spider-Man 2 was good also. Is Spider-Man 2 the one where he stopped a subway like with the power of him holding on to webs? Or am I mixing that up with Spider-Man 1? No, that was Spider-Man 2 because it was Dr. Octopus. Yes. Yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. That's ridiculous. I'm not going crazy with Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 was shit. No, yeah. We we can all agree. (laughs) That was a bad one. Oh, I don't care. But no, D'Onofrio was great. Like his, his portrayal is like, I mean, for those of you who who haven't checked it out, check out uh, Daredevil on Netflix. He, he uh, as Wilson Fisk, Vincent D'Onofrio plays this character that's very vulnerable, you know, came from a bad childhood, kind of meek, but but like he's also very aggressive at times. And it's such and a great contrast. Insane. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he's, basically, he's playing Gomer Pyle. That's what he's doing. He's basically doing a, a, a portrayal of himself from Full Metal Jacket. You're making me mad on purpose. Like you're you're trying to up. dig out these dinosaurs. Like you know I don't like these old references, and you're just trying to screw with me. By the way, it, it, a, a dinosaur. These how old does something have to be a dinosaur? By the way, do you consider Jurassic Park to be a Jurassic a dinosaur fudge? Do you want to do that joke again? <laughs> Screw it. Here, we'll try that joke one more. Because no, I know where you were going with that joke, and it's a good joke. Let's try yeah, it one see. more time. I'll get up here. Right. All right. Go ahead. So Ryan. 
If I have this straight, do you think that Jurassic Park is one of your so-called fossilized references? Because <laughs> it's a dinosaur movie. <laughs> oh, the japes we have. You are a card, sir. <laughs> An oh. absolute card. Oh, someone bring the tea. <laughs> so I want to play a game with you. So I, because you, right. you always get to be the host of the game show, and I've come up with a game show based on this Hollywood Reporter list. Ooh, cool. So what we're going to do is I have some of the TV shows here on that yes. Hollywood Reporter list, and you have to tell me if it's ranked higher or lower than number ah. 50 on the list. Okay, so kind of like Card Sharks. It's like Card Sharks, yeah. Uh-huh. I got okay. you to make a, an old reference. That is an old reference. But, um, but, but just, if the show was nothing but me yelling at you for old references, it would be a seven-hour podcast each week. Okay. I got to let some slide. So you didn't get Richard Dawson to host this? Oh, God. There have been so many other Family Feud hosts since Richard Dawson. <laughs> okay. I'm calm. Here we go. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name some shows. You tell me if they're ranked higher or lower than number 50. We'll see if you're right. Okay? okay. Now, but for clarification. Okay. And it may sound like an idiot. Higher, do you mean lower number value as in 1 through 49? Or... See, now, I, I get what you're saying, but I thought I was pretty clear on this. Ranked higher or lower. So if we're having a race and right. somebody comes in fourth right. and somebody comes in 287th, who was ranked higher? The fourth. There we go. So yay. Yay. All right. So we're, we're on the same page. It's not it's not which number is bigger. It's who's ranked higher. So it's which number is lower. Okay. Okay. So let's see. So we've got some from these lists here. Star Trek The Next Generation ranked higher or lower than number 50 on this Hollywood Reporter list? It, sh it should be higher. I want to say it's lower. It should be higher? Than 50. It is lower. You're right. It is ranked number 55, and I agree with you. That should be, uh, that should be a higher ranking on the list. That was a great show. TNG is the best. I, I, if you get rid of that first season. I enjoy it more... Than the original series. Which is actually ranked higher on this list, I which feel I like, think is weird. I feel like that's just a nod towards it being first or the original. Or, or yeah, or that this voting committee is like a bunch of old farts. But I will say, you, oh, you know what? I, I'm going to, I want to wrestle control of the game away for you for a second. <laughs> okay. What would you prefer, though? One of the movies from, and, and, and forget J.J. Abrams right now. Okay. The Star Trek movies from the original cast or the Next Generation cast? See, it depends on the movie. Well, I mean, how this? Maybe I'll I'll give you a Sophie's choice here, because like there's Wrath there, of Khan there are some t or okay. First Contact. I love the Next Generation cast of Star Trek so much more than the original, and First Contact is probably the best, if not no, definitely the best yeah. of the Next Generation movies. Oh, now Wrath of Khan's better. It's better. Oh wow! See, you were you were setting me up. I thought you were going to go first contact. No, it was no. It's tough. Like they're both good movies, and I I find most of the Captain Kirk stuff pretty insufferable. But Wrath of Khan was good. That was a good one. Also, you know, got gotta love James Cromwell as uh, Zephram Cochran. Zephram, there we go in First Contact. Yes, love that name. <laughs> you told him about the statue. <laughs> All right, here's a here's <laughs> another one for you. Gilligan's Island. Is it ranked higher or lower than number fifty? See, that's a classic show. It is. And, you know, these stuffy Hollywood types, you know, they might... I want to say that's higher. Uh, you are wrong. It is ranked lower. It's ranked number 82. That's baloney. No, 82 is too high. That's, an, that, that, that's another Brady Bunch show. That show is hot garbage. Gilligan's what? Island sucks. Why? It, you know why? You know why? Here's why, Dave. You know what the best episode of Gilligan's Island was? 
The one where they almost get off the island, but Gilligan screws it up. You know what the worst episode of Gilligan's Island was? The one where they almost get off the island, but Gilligan screws it up. That's every damn episode of Gilligan's Island. Week after week, the same formulaic nonsense. So It was a bunch of stock, one-dimensional characters doing the same recycled plot each week. So you don't like things to be recycled? That's right. I don't like things to be recycled. The, the same plot over and over. The same thing over and over is not interesting. So... But you like Ryan Adams, 1989. Oh, God, you got me again. <laughs> I hate you so. Wait, bring so it back. Are you, back. are you trying to defend Gilligan's Island? It's a great show, little buddy. <laughs> I feel like you don't know what you're defending. Plus, I feel also, like if you go back and watch Gilligan's Island, you'll agree with me. It's not a good show. But it gave us the, the, like, the existential question of the 20th century. Which is? Ginger or Marianne? I was always a Marianne guy. Oh, yeah, me too. Is that weird? Because, like, everybody's supposed to go with Ginger, right? No, but Marianne's girl next door, definitely low maintenance. I feel like no one ever went for Mrs. Howell, though. (laughs) (laughs) A rare upset, Mrs. Howell. Um, All right, let's do... uh, Let's do one more, and then I have one last question for you with regard to television. How about... uh, This is interesting. The Flintstones. The Flintstones. Essentially, the animated honeymooners. Yeah, animated honeymooners. Exactly what that is. Um, Who, Who, by the way, didn't make the list. The Honeymooners. So the Flintstones are on the list, but the Honeymooners are not. Isn't on the list. that strange? Jackie Gleason's not on the list. That's right. Uh, pow, zoom right to the moon and right off the list. Um, something interesting <laughs> about the Flintstones. Uh-huh. And I just stole this from the Hollywood Reporter page, so I can't like say that I came up with this on my own. Well, you just said it's from the Hollywood Reporter page, so it's not stealing; it's giving proper That's credit right. to the Hollywood Reporter. The first couple to appear together in bed on television: Fred and Wilma Flintstone. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Because it makes sense it's animated, but... Well, because think about it with I Love Lucy. Like, Lucy and Ricky slept in separate beds. That was the 50s, so... Yeah. And so... So, so wait a minute. Boy, that just shows how repressive the 50s was because they didn't feel that way back in the Stone Age. (laughs) But yeah, you know, when when, 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 uh, Eisenhower came in, we got to stop this. (laughs) I like Ike, but I don't like sleeping in the same bed with my wife. All right, so higher, was it ranked higher or lower than number 50? Well, I mean, I loved it as a child, but I can't imagine the, you know, industry people are going to give it that much kindness. Uh, it's probably, it's lower. Uh, that's right. It was ranked number 80. Number 80. So well done. Um, before we before we close with this TV stuff, because I'm actually genuinely curious, do you, do you have a favorite, like, comedy and drama in television? Let's I'm tough. surprised I've known you this long. I've never really asked you this, but well, I'm curious. I mean, I, I mean, I like the Simpsons. It really holds up. And so does, I mean, South Park is amazing. Simpsons in the top 10, by the way. Yeah. Okay. That's good. South it's, Park, like number 30, I think. I think, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia is so smart in it's also in its stupidity as well. It's a great show. It, I mean, it is one of the funniest shows ever that have given me some of the biggest laughs because it's these four people. Actually, I guess, no, five. Yeah. Five people who are just terrible and awful but don't know it. So and it's just, I, I, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I love if you have to choose Simpsons or sunny. Oof! Wow. Well, you maybe choose between first contact and wrath of Khan. The least you can do is, uh, return the favor. Ooh, man. You know what? Then I think you, you gotta give me the Simpsons. Cause I also love Homer. Yeah. It's a memorable character. Did you, uh, any dramas that you liked? I mean, I can tell you my favorite drama is breaking bad. Like, well, see, this is interesting. Cause actually right now, as we're doing this, I'm actually watching The Wire for the first time. It's 2015, and I'm I'm now watching The Wire. <laughs> but also, it's funny because it's not like Game of Thrones. It's not like Breaking Bad, where people were, were talking about it, and it's the age of spoilers. Where you know, I know nothing about The Wire, but mm-hmm. I did like it when uh, one of the cops said, "Like, 
we got to find out what's going on in the criminal enterprise. Looks like we need to get a... And he turns to the camera and takes off the glass, glasses and goes, a wire. I thought that was a bold choice. <laughs> I to, don't think that's what happened. To, to ha- to look, I didn't watch all the episodes of The Wire, but that seems far-fetched. I mean, usually you don't see that much. I mean, it's like it, it was like the great episodes of The Sopranos when uh, Tony was uh, all the families at the Thanksgiving dinner table and they're doing great. And he's just like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. I can't do it. Whatever. Um, Wait, you're, gonna, you're not going to finish the joke? No, no. I was going to try to do a Tony Soprano accent, James Gandolfini, but I, I can't do it. Um, anyway, when he, he basically looks around and says like, Oh, this is this is a good year here. We had a good year with the family and everything. Uh, I guess I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Uh, looks like this is a great family to have. The Sopranos. <laughs> I don't think any of these shows and, have and, actually and, said the name of their show on the show. And then everyone like uh, laughs and guffaws, and then you know the great kazoo just like pops up out of nowhere next to his uh, head and everything. And then and then and then the scene pauses, and it's like executive producer Peter Engel or something like that. Or Hanna Barbera, yeah. or Hanna Barbera, no, exactly. The, the Great Kazoo, remember him? Yes, the he, little he green was alien. on the number eighty show, The Simpsons, or the Flintstones, the other family. Yeah, the modern Stone Age family. By the way, why is it? Oh, is that another fossilized reference? Hi-o! <laughs> so you can't see like my face when I'm making like the. I know, like ah. you, you made the I gotcha face, but nobody can hear it on the podcast. Maybe we should do some live episodes. Yeah, like a pericos- periscope thing. No, 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 I mean or like, like a webcast. No, 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 no. I mean like go to the. The, the Jackie Gleason Theater in Miami Beach. Um, sell you, tickets. You find a way to fill it, and I'll be there for <laughs> Okay. All right. Thank you all very, very much for listening to the Break the Business Podcast. We will see you th- next week. Thanks for uh, hanging out, Dave. Thanks for being such a great co-host. Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening. All right. See you next week on the Break the Business Podcast.